The title of this sermon is Living Active Faith. Living Active Faith. And I want to start off talking about end times, okay? And the end times, uh, the end of the age or the days when Christ returns. We have certain things that come to mind, I believe, when we're looking at or thinking about end times. We think of mighty armies at war or horrible religious persecution, repression, greed, violence, arrogance, so forth. Have you ever thought of faith as an end-time issue? Have you ever thought of faith as an end-time issue? Yes? Someone's saying yes? Okay. <laughs> well, we're on the same page then. Turn to Luke 18, verse 8. So this will, like, kick us off. This will be our keynote scripture here. Luke 18 and verse 8 is a question from Jesus Christ, our Lord and Master, and he's speaking to his followers. And he asks them, uh, at the end of this verse, he says, However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus positions faith, I believe, here as a question for the end times. The end times. When he returns. That's how I put the two together. When he returns. With this question, Jesus is asking you and asking me to think about the possible answers. What are the possible answers? Yes. No. Maybe, I suppose, you know. Those are possibilities. So we want to, I think, ask ourselves, well, what is the answer to that? Will he find faith when he returns? Are we close to that end time? Is another good question to ask. Is that something where we're living through those very days? And if so, if so, what do we see? And what do we see when we consider the question of faith? What would faith look like? And why would he say, will he find faith? It's kind of up in the air. So we're going to break it down a little bit. If you consider faith as simply belief, okay, belief, in an entity, any entity, God or otherwise, faith is, let's break it down, it's just simply belief in say a body of teachings, um, an institution, or perhaps a very inspiring person, then I think that you could very legitimately argue that if we are, say, in the end times right now, people show plenty of faith right now, don't they? They have plenty of faith. That's not missing. People have... uh, all kinds of faith in the various religious dogmas that are out there. There's a belief and a very strong confidence that they do indeed have the truth. People believe this. There's tremendous faith put in science and technology that through uh, these 
wonderful things that we're going to be able to, uh, you know, make it all happen. So there's a tremendous belief and confidence in what I would call observable data. There's tremendous faith and belief in political ideas, ideologies, communism, capitalism, all kinds of isms, right? There's lots of faith out there. People believe this is the way this is going to work. We finally got it figured out. Plus, we also see people investing quite a bit of faith in persons of fame or talent. I think um, people put a lot of faith in uh, President Obama. There was a lot of faith going on there, right? I believe in this guy. Not everybody, of course. But there's a tremendous amount of faith out there in this world. And so you could answer the question, yep, when... He comes when the Son of Man returns. He's going to find all kinds of faith. And he will. He will. He will find all kinds of faith. But all these different faiths are fickle. These are fickle faiths. And with enough passage of time, they are and will be proven to be unreliable and untrustworthy. On the flip side, you could look at it and say, hmm, I look around and I think that our age shows a great loss of faith. A great loss of faith. <clears throat> faith in marriage. If you think about the effect that those bogus statistics have had over this current generation, it is astounding. As, uh, as the Germans said during the, uh, the Nazi years, if you're going to lie, lie big, because people will swallow that. The little lies, not so much. But the big lies, if you're bold and brassy enough, people will buy it. People will buy almost anything. And there are lots of big lies out there. So there's a loss of faith in, in marriage. That's a good example. There's a loss of faith in government, government institutions. People look at the personalities that are filling all those offices and are very jaded and cynical and don't have a lot of faith in government. There's a loss of faith in the military. There's a loss of faith in journalism, in education. There's a loss of faith, and we'll just put a, you know, kind of a, an umbrella over it, there's a loss of faith that truth even exists and is knowable. That, that's something I can actually find and latch onto and wrap my mind around. And I think that's where the sermonette uh, gives some great example of that kind of problem where people have been lied to. And you know what happens when you've been lied to? You don't trust, right? You don't trust. And so, you know, you see these people can lie with statistics and they can make it all seem like, well, this is science. Well, it depends. <laughs> what statistics have you plucked out of the hat and how are you doing this? So there is, a there is a, a, I think, a real loss, especially among the youngers, uh, that truth is even obtainable or knowable. So why should we even try? There's a loss of faith that there's a meaning and purpose to life. And there's a loss of faith in any kind of positive 
future. So we find a, a, a world, I think, where many, many people are turned off and tuned out. Turned off and tuned out. Immersing themselves in an alternate world or an alternate reality um, of drugs, social media, entertainment, sex. And our young people are taught that life is merely a series of highly personal choices and experiences. With each person alone and kind of adrift, you can be captain of your own ship, but you're not going anywhere. So I think there's a lot of faith out there, but there's also a tremendous loss of faith happening at the same time. The faith that you need, that I need, that we need, is active living faith. That's what we need, active living faith. Living faith is a very real active living trust, a trust in and a relationship with your Father Creator. And that is the faith that we are here to talk about more today. That's what we, I hope that's what you come expecting to hear. And I hope to do my small part in delivering that. That is the faith that we are here to learn more about. And so we will. Um, uh, there's some similar material that I want to cover today that I covered in the last sermon I gave. And I'll probably do a few more. Living faith is not all in your head or in your heart. Living faith is also in your hands and your feet. What do I mean by that? Well, living faith takes what you think and what you feel and puts it into action. Okay? So it's a holistic thing. Your whole body is involved. <laughs> really, seriously, that's how God worked. He gave you a physical body for a reason. You're not just a cloud of intellect floating around in the universe. You have a physical body and you're going to live in the physical world. Living faith takes what you think and feel and puts it into action. Let's start with a very simple, a very simple example. Will you worship God? Okay? Binary question, yes, no. Well, I, I would assume that everyone in this room is going to answer yes. I will worship God. Okay. Brian and I did this last night, and he said, yes. Good, good boy. Yes, I will worship God. If yes, then how does that become active and living? How does that become active and living? Or do I just think good thoughts about God? How does it become active and living? Will you worship God as he has instructed or as you please? All right, now we're getting to the point where faith becomes active and living. Will you, of course, everyone here qualifies, will you get up off your sofa and come before him at the time he has appointed? Will you do that? To do as he's instructed, 
rather than how you please is an example of active living faith. We're in Luke 18. So let's read the whole section from verses 1 through 8. Okay? Because this is an example of active living faith. Verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And he said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. Now for some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so she won't eventually come and attack me. She won't come after me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Listen to what this guy's saying. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So it's a bigger thought than just the one that we started off with. And it's an example of active living faith. How so? What is the active living principle here? Perseverance. Perseverance. That is another example of active living faith. Was this woman's confidence in the judge that his, like his better self was at some point just going to shine forth you know, deep down I know this guy's a good guy and he's eventually going to give me the justice that I want. Is that where she was coming from? Nope. I don't think so. The circumstances and the situation, I mean, it's a parable, right? So it's very simplified. But the circumstances and the situation indicated that she was going to fail. This guy was hard. He didn't care what people thought and he didn't care what God thought. And furthermore, he was unjust. So, looking at the observable data, no, she didn't have a lot of confidence or, or shouldn't have a lot of confidence and faith that this judge would eventually come around and his better, better self would grant her the requests that she's made. She won out through sheer endurance. She wore him out. <laughs> sheer endurance, perseverance. And as, uh, as Jesus said there, how much more then should we expect an answer to our requests made to God, the righteous judge, in accordance with his will? And that's where it ties into the sermon I gave last time I was here about the will of God, submission to the will of God. God promises I will answer. That's his promise to you and his promise to me. I'm going to answer you. At the right time. And in the right way. To get you to the point. Where you can achieve. The fullness of your potential as a child of God. Because that's where your father is coming from. 
Have confidence that this is so. Have the faith in God that this is so. He hears and he will answer in the way that is best for you. And have active living faith. So we get back to that question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find people with active living faith? I've changed the question a little bit, okay? When the Son of Man comes, will he find people with active living faith? I started off listing things that humanity commonly put their faith in. And I think, I think you see, I saw enough nodding heads that people were, yeah, I wasn't that far off base. These are the things that people have confidence in and faith in. Science and politics, religious dogma. And they also have faith in human goodness. Now, we don't need to go into all those and why they are fickle and why they're going to fail. We do that at other times and other seasons of the year. But the very idea of having faith in any of these things, faith in science or politics or you know, religious doctrine or human goodness, the very idea of faith sort of presupposes and assumes that there is some ideal outcome. There's some good place that we all want to get to and be. Right? That's what would be the underpinning of faith. That there's some kind of end game. Worth having. Worth, worth, worth achieving. One that I think a lot of people would agree on. I'm going to try and... I know I'm oversimplifying a lot of things here. But humans want to feel good. Right? Humans want to feel good. They want to be happy. You know, that's been... Uh, an agreed-upon goal since the time of Aristotle. I mean, he, he's the one who first came up with that, you know. The goal is to be happy. And this future happiness, okay, the idea of happiness, well, we've all thought about it. I like being happy, don't you? I like being happy. Well, this future happiness usually takes place in a setting of um, prosperity and health and life and peace, right? A setting without fear and without worry. So we hear a lot about peace. I think that whole concept kind of gets rolled together in this idea of peace. We need a setting of peace to be happy, right? And so people light candles for peace and they leave, you know, flowers on um, on sidewalk shrines and they hold seminars for peace we propose treaties for peace and we protest for peace <laughs> right people want peace however they try and get it is a different issue but this is a goal I think it's pretty universal even beauty contestants you know Miss America or Miss Universe what does she say she wants world peace right right you know there she is in her sequin gown and high heels with a little tiara and I want world peace it's pretty common let's let's consider that as our universal okay so we hear a lot about this goal of peace 
Well, let's just, let's take Miss America or Miss Universe. Let's make it bigger. Miss Universe. And we'll select Miss Universe as the representative of humanity, okay, for, for a short duration. Uh, she will temporarily represent all humanity, and we'll give her a name, um, Serena Strawman. And uh, she stands before God, okay? She stands before God, and what does she say? Well, we want peace and an end to world hunger. And God says, okay, I will show you how to have world peace. But all of you out there, all of you people, not just you, Serena, but everybody, has to do the stuff that I tell you to do. And Serena says, well, like what? God says, well, here's the list of stuff. Here's the list of stuff, Serena. So Serena reads the list, okay? Hmm. She says, hmm. There are a few problems in here. Just want to point out to you, uh, like, say, item number seven. This is, this is, I want to ask you about this. Uh, so, number seven, do you mean, like, no sex outside of marriage? I don't, I don't see how that has any connection to world peace, you know? And you know, there's a few other things in here I have some questions about. They don't, I don't, I, I just don't get it. Can't we just, can't we just, like, you know, take out a few of these things and really stick to the things that, you know, focus on world peace, you know, justice and all that? And God says, well, no, no, Serena, it doesn't work that way. You have to buy into the whole program. You have to buy into the whole program. Trust me. Trust me. Serena says, well, here's the thing. It's your list. It, it wasn't quite what we had in mind. We sort of saw it as no killing, you know, justice, lots of personal freedom, you know, people get to, to do the things that they want to do. They get to pursue personal happiness. You know, like that. And God answers, that won't make you happy. That is not the way I designed you. Trust me. Serena says, well, so why couldn't you just make us to work that way then. You know, like make us to want the things that lead to peace. Why didn't you just make us that way? And God answers, I want you to think for yourself. I want you to choose what's good. And I want you, thereby, to be on my level. Not supreme over all the universe, but I want you to be made after my image. Be like me. To choose the good of your own free will. Serena says, hmm, well, i got to tell you, this list of stuff is just not going to work. There has to be a different way. There has to be another way. And God answers, 
There isn't any other way. Trust me. Trust me. Serena answers, Well, I think we're going to try some other options here. We're, we're going to try some other options, okay? We've got some pretty good ideas of our own, and, and we want to explore these ideas. And let, I'll tell you, you, look, your list has some real keepers on it. And maybe we'll make use of some of those. You know, we'll like put them in the mix and stuff like that. Yeah, it'll be part of the mix. And God answers, well, then you're going to get mixed results. Like was mentioned in the sermonette. Hey, you know what? Good things will happen to you when you do the good things that I tell you to do. And if you only do some of them, you'll get some good results and some bad results. And it'll be a real mixture of good and evil. Mixed results. Turn to James 4. Let's read verses 1 through 3. God's word says to us, What causes fights and quarrels among you? And why don't you have peace? What causes the fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. Violence. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. More violence. More trouble. You do not have because you do not ask God. So there are people out there who, you know, they just don't even buy into the idea of God. But then it goes on and says, and when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. We, humanity as a whole, if you will, and I think it also applies to us if we're honest with ourselves and dig deep into our motives. We want what God has to offer. We want what he has to offer. It's good. We want that peace. We want that vibrant life. We want that prosperity. We want that wonderful setting where we can finally be happy. We want that. But we don't always trust him to show us how to get it. We kind of want things our way. So when Christ, the Son of Man, returns, will he find faith? Will he find people actively living in faith? So we're going we're gonna to take a look at faith, not just today, but we're going to start today with kind of nailing down some ideas about faith that we have and, and need to understand. What is faith anyway? What is faith? Is faith an emotion? Is faith how you feel? Is faith how I feel about myself and my standing with God? Or is there more? Because I think it is those things. Faith does take place in your mind and in your heart. But remember, <laughs> remember the hands and the feet as well. Is there more? Turn to Romans 3, if you would. Romans 3, verse 25. We'll start off with the mind. 
All right? I don't want anyone to get the idea that I'm saying that faith does not involve your mind and your heart, your intellect and your emotion. It's not just what you do. That was uh, something that Jesus came to tell people specifically. No, you have to have your mind and your heart in this. In Romans 3, verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrificial or a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his patience he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. It's part of a larger uh, discussion on Paul's part here. But it starts off with that verse, and that's one of those verses that I know a lot of people turn to and say, well, that's all you need, baby. You know, believe and you are good to go. And the rest will all just roll out. And there's some truth in that, because faith does indeed begin in your mind and your heart. I I would also add to that description, that spirit that God has placed within you. Yeah, definitely. It It starts there. You begin with a mental acceptance. You do have to, as it says here, receive by faith the sacrificial atonement of Christ. You don't get really anywhere until you do that. So you begin with a mental acceptance that you need your record cleared, right? And that your record can be cleared of all charges against you through the blood of Jesus Christ. So that is the beginning of faith, or the beginnings, part of the beginnings. But once you've made peace with God, the substance of your ongoing relationship continues in faith. There's more stuff going on up here and in here. For example, you learn and learn more about and you accept his plan for humanity and his plan for you as an individual. You learn about it and there's head knowledge. There's plenty of head knowledge. And you gain confidence that he does indeed want good things for you. You also, though, This is important, and this is why I named, I gave the title for the sermon, Active Living Faith. You move from merely believing in God to believing God. We're in Romans 3, so that whole section ends with this thought. Talking about faith, talking about, yeah, you have to have faith and believe that the sacrifice of Christ is for you. You receive it through faith. But he goes on, and you can read through the rest of this on your own. I just want to jump down to verse 31. This, if I may say, if you memorize scripture and you know where certain key scriptures are, put this one on your list. Romans 3, 31. Okay? Especially especially you young men who will be charged with teaching the truth to the future. Romans 3, verse 31 says, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Do we say, well, you know, believing in the sacrifice of Christ is good enough. That's all there is to it. Do we therefore just get rid of all the rest of this stuff? Is irrelevant? Unnecessary? Absolutely not. Rather, we uphold the law. So through faith, what does the scripture say? It says through faith, 
You uphold the law. You trust God. You express faith through what you do. You uphold and follow his instructions. And that word uphold there, you can look it up. And you can look up the meaning and the definition. It basically says to sustain the authority or the force in anything, in something. Okay? You uphold it. You say, yeah, yeah, this is the way. It's that list that God gave to Miss Universe there. You know, that's, that's the thing. Yeah, you're going to do that. If you trust God the way he asks you to trust him, you're going to do it. Let's go back to James, verse t- uh, chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. What good is it, my brothers and sisters? Of course, that means that it's being written to, to the church, to you. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Now, if it's, it's, if it's all in your head or in your heart, what, what, what's, what's that all about? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed. I have good thoughts about you. You know, I'm thinking positive things about you in my mind, and my heart is glowing with love towards you. See ya. So if one of them says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone then might say, well, you have faith, but I have deeds. Well, show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Then he puts this interesting little uh, thought here, which was mentioned in the sermonette again. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God. Well, that's good. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. So the instruction we have there is, yeah, you need active living faith, right? I think it's pretty clear. You need active living faith. And you can't just keep it all in your head or in your heart. It has to go out to your hands and your feet, if you will. Except my analogy. And then at the end, he says that very interesting and I think very important little verse. That's another one of those good memory verses. James 2.19 tells us that demons, they believe in God, right? In their minds, Right? They accept the, you know, the, the fact, the reality that, yeah, there's a God. Satan believes that. So they believe in God, right? But they don't believe God. They don't believe what God says. And they won't do it. They, I would say... From what we've, we know, and what little we know about Satan, God's purpose is not to teach us about Satan, that 
they, Satan and the demons, they believe that there's another way. I think it's, you know, it's there in the scripture. It's also logical. Clearly, well, there has to be a different way. We're going we're gonna to try a different route. But God, the creator who made them and made you and me, says, no, there isn't. There isn't another way. And so many people on planet Earth believe in God. Yeah, I believe that there's a God. But do they believe God? Do they trust that he knows the way to peace, to prosperity, to that healthy, vibrant life that we all want, and happiness? Now, I'll, I'll go a little further down, down this road. <laughs> because this touches on some of the false teachings that are out there about Jesus as well. I would, I think I'm pretty safe in venturing to say that Jesus believes, sorry, that Satan believes that Jesus is who he said he was. Right? I mean, I think their interactions in gospel, yeah, he knew that Satan and the demons, they knew who he was. We know who you are, right? When the demons confront Jesus. We know who you are. We know what you're coming here for. So, yeah, they get that. They believe that he was who he said he was, the Son of God. And I, I would also say that it's no stretch to say that Satan believes and accepts the fact of Jesus' death. And he died. Okay? And that Satan gets the logic of how Jesus' death can pay the penalty for the sins of all mankind being the one through whom and by whom all things were created. I think he gets all that. You know, he's, he's got the head knowledge, I would venture to say. I don't think that's a big stretch. And so I put that out there because believing those t- two things cannot be the sum total of faith. That can't be what faith is all about. There has to be more. Turn to Hebrews 11, verse 6. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Uh, I quoted this last time, last sermon. Probably come around to it again. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Okay, good. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. There's actually quite a bit packed into that verse. Yeah, there's the element of you have to believe that he exists. But there's more there, isn't there? You have to believe that he is also judge. Right? You have to believe that he's the judge and rewarder. If you see injustice, know and have faith that God sees it too. And he will judge and he will reward. If you do wrong in your life, God will judge and reward accordingly. And then there's this other element there, right at the end of that particular verse, that says to seek out God. To seek out God. So once again, 
What do we find when we're talking about faith? Action, right? Action. Head knowledge leads to action. Otherwise, it's worthless, right? That's pretty much the, <laughs> pretty much the message of Scripture. Yeah, get the head knowledge. Study your Bible. Read your Bible. And then let it change your life, right? That's what we read about faith. Action. So that's why the title for this sermon is Active Living Faith. Active Living Faith. It's a whole package. Let's take a little time here to define faith. All right? Just go over it pretty much the same material in a little different way. The word that's translated as faith is pistis in Greek. P-I-S-T-I-S or pistio. They basically change the, the, you know, the way words are used in sentences by the end of the word. Like we would with trusted or trusting or trusts. You know, how it ends kind of changes. So pistis and variations of it. And in the Greek, in the Greek language, it means a sense of conviction. Conviction. That you have been persuaded. You've been persuaded. Someone has convinced you, and your mind has said, uh huh, yep. You have been persuaded, convinced. And especially when it's used in, in the Greek uh, literature, it, it means or carries the extra meaning of conviction that's based on hearing. And as the, as the scriptures say, you know, how can people believe if they don't hear? How can someone hear if no one's sent? And therefore, you know, that is what the ministry is for. That's what the church does for you, is it teaches you. If, uh, you know, well, I think a lot of times people, what is it, people wonder, well, what is the church going to do for me? You know, and I have people call and they'll want to know, well, you know, do you have, do you have, you know, daycare program? Do you do counseling for drug addiction, stuff like that? And uh, like, well, you know, we try, you know, it's a small group where limited resources, we, we, we offer counseling, but the church's real purpose and goal is to teach you. God has put it in place to to help you in that way, give you that head knowledge. So faith can indeed, and I I know I'm going over the same thing, I want to make this perfectly clear, faith can and should be understood as a feeling, definitely, yeah. And it should and could also be understood as a collection of ideas that represent your personal creed, if you will. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely part of faith. Let's take this word pistis, okay? And let's look at how it's used in Scripture. Okay, let's look how it's used in Scripture. And that will add depth and dimension to our definition. So let's just take a look at a few points. Mark 1. Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. 
repent and believe the good news. That's the word pistis. Believe the good news. Okay? You could, I suppose, say, have faith that this is the truth. Believe the good news. Okay? Acknowledgement of God's revelation of truth. And I say that because a lot of what we as a church teach and talk about is that truth. We talk about prophecy. We talk about the kingdom of God. We don't spend all our time talking about um, the Christian living. We could, but I would say that the Christian living is driven by that belief that, okay, this is the truth. Okay, I've got hope. I've got, I have faith in that. So there's an acknowledgement of God's revelation of truth. Okay? 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 11 through 12. This is kind of the, the flip side, the negative, if you would. And this is breaking into a longer section talking about lawlessness in the end time. And it says, for this reason, God sends them, and he's talking there about the people who are under the sway of Satan. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. Once again, does that not tie into the sermonette perfectly? God, God will allow them to believe a lie. A bald-faced lie. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. So, on the flip side, I, you know, this is saying that a flawed set of teachings produces a flawed faith. All right? They have not believed the truth, and that is tied in with a delight in wickedness. That's the hands and the feet, right? Wickedness. If someone's just wicked in their mind and in their heart, there's no skin off my nose. <laughs> you know, you can deal with that. It's because people do something. They act on this false belief system that they've got, and bad things happen. So, a flawed set of teachings produces a flawed faith. We started off talking about all these flawed faith positions that people have in our world, did we not? Politics, science, goodness of man, all these things. Flawed teaching produces a flawed faith. All right? We need to seek, as we read in um, Hebrews, to seek God. And to seek God is to seek the truth. Uh, the kingdom of God. The, the prophecies related to that. The promises related to that. The new covenant. The mechanics of how God writes his laws on your heart and on your mind. The sacrifice of, of Christ, which we've gone through during the spring holy days. What we teach matters. What we teach matters. Okay? John 1, verse 12. Here's the hard part, if you would. Yet to all who did receive him, that being Jesus, John's talking about it in the past tense here, reviewing his life and his interaction with Jesus. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
And this verse is uh, one that I'm going to add my interpretation of it, which would be personal surrender, a sense of personal surrender. Now, I don't know what your process was when you came to a knowledge of the truth, when however it worked that God reached into your mind and your heart and you know, hopefully into your hands and your feet as well. And I would say that my personal experience was that I had to kind of break down and say, I don't know the way to peace. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. I am pretty useless. I have no answers for anybody about anything. I, I don't know. I don't think any of us do the way to peace. Except by acceptance of God's revelation of truth. I don't know the way to peace, prosperity, vibrant health, life, happiness. I need you, my father and creator, to show me. So there's a sense of personal surrender. that Those who believe and accept in his name, in his power, in him as a, as a, as a, as a being. Not an idea, but a very personal surrender to your Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father and the whole program, if you will. So number four, let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. And again, if you look up these, you'll see that the word pistis is the word that's used there. So these are all talking about faith and things that happen with faith. And there's way more. Don't get me wrong. This is just one of many thing, many sermons that can and will and should be given about faith. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. Okay? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. Short, very short. It says, For we live by faith, not by sight. One of those pithy little scriptures that you could think about for hours and maybe you should. Uh, we live by faith, not by sight. And I, I mean, you can take it the wrong way. I think you can say, yeah, as long as I have this warm glow and this fuzzy feeling, you know, I can, I'll sit in my easy chair and, uh, you know, I'll have a bowl of peanuts and a Coke. And I live by faith. Man, this is great. I feel good today. But what it's really getting at, we live by faith, is conduct that is inspired by the knowledge and the surrender of the previous verses. The knowledge and the surrender. That is what leads us to live by faith, not by sight. Not by sight. So I'll put it in my own words. I'm going to do the things that you show me, God. I'm going to do the things you show me and I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to live by faith. Even if circumstances, by sight, what I see, even if the circumstances kind of look like they demand other options to be considered. Okay? But I'm going to do the things that you told me. And I'm going to faithfully do them. I'm going to stick to it. Even when, by sight, it doesn't add up. And that's... That's a challenge. That is a challenge. 
So as I've mentioned, this is just an introduction, kind of a definition sermon, if you would. We talked about it last time in regard to submission, and this time in regard to what does it mean? How does it work? What are the elements of faith? Faith clearly begins with thought. Okay, it's there. It's definitely part of faith. An acceptance that there is indeed a living God and and an acceptance of the truth that he reveals to humanity. Doctrine, teaching, prophecy, blah, blah. But real living faith is active and doing. Active and doing. And so if you've been worried, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but kind of thought, well, I just... I don't feel like a person who is filled with faith. Have you ever felt that way? I just don't feel like I have enough faith. Well, I have. Because I don't have that warm glow in me all the time. I don't wake up every morning thinking, woohoo! I don't. Maybe you do. And then I sometimes think, well, I don't, maybe I just don't have enough faith. And Faith is so much more than just a feeling. Real living faith is active and doing. Like being here today, believe it or not, you are living out your faith today by being here. Okay? Real living faith changes the mind. Gets in there. It's an intellectual acceptance. Yeah. Okay. It's an emotional feeling. Yeah. Okay. But it changes the mind. And it changes the emotions. And faith changes how we live. It changes what we do by changing our minds, changing our emotion. And through faith, remember that verse, Romans 3, verse 31. Faith, by faith, we uphold God's law. Very important scripture. Burn that into your brain if you would. We uphold God's law through faith. His instructions about how to attain all our hopes, all that stuff we want. His instructions about how to get where we say we want to go. His instructions about attaining our hopes and dreams and the hopes and dreams of all humanity. Everybody wants this good stuff. Peace, prosperity, life, and happiness. And you can get all those things. They're yours. You can get all those things through faith. When we have faith and when we do faith. So when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? Think about it. Will he find faith on earth? 